0: Welcome to Change Nation, a program from first30days.com. On this week's episode, Ariane talks with Scott Lou and Adam Bardak about Lou's battle with the neuromuscular disease ALS. Here's Ariane.
1: Scott Liu was a successful Hollywood film executive and an aspiring movie director when he was given a devastating diagnosis the twitches that he was experiencing in his chest was ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Despite the fact that most people who are diagnosed with ALS are given a five-year life expectancy, Scott was completely determined to continue living life and directing his first feature film, Bickford Schmeckler's Cool Ideas. His friend Adam Bardak documented Scott's struggle to complete the film in another documentary called Living with Lou. Today on Change Nation, I'm joined by both of them, Scott and Adam, to talk about what it's like to document a friend's struggle, what it was like to be living with ALS, and any wisdom and life lessons that he might have for us all. Welcome to both of you. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you. So many people don't really understand what Lou Gehrig's disease is, and they might even be embarrassed to ask. So. I'd love it if one of you could just educate us very briefly on what it is.
2: Sure. What is uh, your body goes through change, change? No one knows what causes this change. But your motor neurons, the, the nerves that make your muscles move, begin to atrophy.
0: Soon as those
2: neurons die, your muscles also begin to fade to die. So, they can, you know, uh, within just a matter of a couple years, you get kind of a total body paralysis. And it can also affect your breathing and your ability to swallow, which is how it kills people.
1: So, Scott, you were diagnosed, I believe, about five years ago.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, almost six years ago, actually.
1: If you can think back to that moment of receiving the health diagnosis. I know there's a lot of people who are gonna to listen to this who will be going through a health diagnosis of their own. What do you remember about that period and what do you most want to tell people about getting through that period?
2: Well, for me, it was kind of a two-step process. I had one doctor who looked at me, kind of a gateway HMO doctor, and in just one second, he said, you've got ALS. he kill you in two to three years. And then he, you know, backed off it a little bit. And recommended me to a specialist. And you know, it took a specialist about another six or eight months to fully diagnose me. But in that time, I had time to kind of get my head around. He knew that I knew that I was getting weaker. And I knew that we you know eventually, doctor would tell me that I had this this illness because to me the, the symptoms were so obvious. But um, you know, the biggest thing you have to remember, at least for me, without being, was I just tried to calm myself down as much as like I could. Finally, gave still, still plays in my mind, where no matter what happened, everything was okay. And, you know, to this day, I just try to relax and uh, connect put that still point, where, you know, I'm still here, and I'm still able to talk and communicate with people and everything, and which is a matter of finding that center And
1: now losing it. Scott, do you remember what specifically helped you most at the start to deal with the fear, to deal with maybe the anger, the the misunderstanding, the doubt, all those negative emotions that come up in the first 30 days of a change and certainly a diagnosis?
2: Sure. Well, for one thing, it was very much like getting struck by lightning, you know. It's so rare. Um, he says, to think that no matter what I did, it wasn't my fault. For so one time, I was driving drunk or something, and paralyzed myself or whatever. This is something that just uh, was a total random act of nature. Was a shark attack, um, and uh, you know that helped me a lot. But um,
1: the other thing
2: is um, when I was um, a teenager, I used to do martial arts, and one of the teachers I had had a saying, which is, "It's too late for fear." When you're standing there, I don't know if that was clear or not, but you say it's too late for fear when you're standing there. And I just started to remember that, like, since you're there, having the problem. You know, you could, uh, you have to deal with it. You can't let it overwhelm you.
1: Yeah. Adam, what for you was it that made you decide to do this documentary? Were you so inspired by the potential and the story and the man that that Scott is?
0: Um, I think there were a couple of different factors um, sort of conspiring at the same time. Scott and I had been friends prior to his diagnosis for some five or six years, and we'd actually made another documentary together, which Scott directed and and I produced. And uh, we just really hit it off, and we shared the same sense of humor and the same sort of interest in interest in life's uh, absurdities, and and we were just great friends, and, um, you know, when he, he actually didn't tell any of his friends about his diagnosis until around eight months, sort of after the fact, because he was dealing with the diagnosis himself, and I think, I don't want to put words into your mouth, Scott, but he was, um, you know, trying to set up this film and, and concern that... You know, this diagnosis was going to affect his ability to get work as a writer and also get this first film made as a director. That's true. So I came, I'd come back from, my, you know, Christmas trip from Europe and and noticed that something was happening with Scott, that he was having some difficulty walking and also difficulty using his hands. Um, and, and he told me what was going on and I sort of, you know, it's it's a shocking thing and you're not really sure what to do as a friend and as just as a human being how to how to help this person because it is, you know, it, it is what it is. So, I mean, it took about a week or two to sort of digest the situation and I knew that Scott's film was on the verge of, of, of getting um, greenlit. And uh, we just went out to a bar one night and I sat down with him and I said, you know, I'd, I'd really love to, to make a film by you. And I think it was the fact that he was getting this opportunity to to direct his first film and just the fact that he has such an incredible sense of humor and such an amazing perspective on life and what what was and is happening to him that it that it, it moved and inspired me and I just wanted to to tell the story and it was a good excuse for us to hang out together and and it was an amazing, you know, experience and still is.
2: When I'm a big ham,
1: so anytime someone
0: says they want to film me, I'm all <laughs> for Exactly. You,
1: t- this is a question really to both of you. What is the best way to help someone who has a diagnosis? I think so many times we just, we don't know how to help.
0: I mean, I think from, from my perspective, just as a friend, you know, there's very little that you can do as, you know, from a kind of, Medical or scientific or any, you know, perspective like that. You can, you can just be a friend. I mean, that's, that's what we always have been to each other. And, and I think we've, we've drawn a lot closer through this experience. And I think, you know, just the opportunity to spend time together and laugh and do the things that we would have normally done and, and joke with each other and watch boxing matches and, you know, do do all the the stuff that we would normally do.
2: We what would you say, to habit, but, but the, We cut back on a cigar habit, but... We cut back on a cigar habit, but that's not the only... <laughs> the only change, the... Um, I mean, I totally agree with Adam in that... The biggest thing is that people want to... At least for me, have a sense of consistency and continuity. To not feel like people are obsessed with your illness. They treat you normally and they want to still, you know, hang out with you and have fun with you. Um, I have had friends where it's very difficult for them to separate me from the illness when they don't come around as often. Or when they do, it's very intense. I can tell that being around me really affects them. It makes me a little bit sad. Because I don't want that to be the case. But overall, the majority of people, um, that's still one of the blessings of ALS. Mm -hmm. Just put on their their best friendly face. They come and hang out, and, uh, you know, you really get to see the really great side of people. Right. People come and help you in ways you you never expected. from um, the there for you, never expected. From, um, you know, just rolling through a grocery store, I'll well, have ten people smile at me. First out of the blue, it was funny. First, I think I see in a wheelchair. But it makes people smile at you. And it just shows very compassionate, Side of people that you, uh, you don't really respect before you're in the situation.
1: Scott, you say something beautiful in the documentary. You say that we're all trying to be so self-reliant and that you really have to let other people help you. Can you share what it's like to to do that and to really depend on others as much as you have had to?
2: Um, sure. That's a good point because That really is one of the big ways of letting yourself deal with a big illness. You can't let pride get in the way of living well. You need to open yourself up for what people do stuff for you. In my case, it's almost everything. I can use my hands or legs to play a head. More of a self conscious attitude where I push people away, my life would be miserable. But what it shows you is that when you, you know, open yourself up for that kind of help, people will help you. And, um, it's kind of like a one of those, trust falls. Mm-hmm. You know, trust falls like in grade school. you fall backwards and hope the person catches you. Yes. You've got to, to do that. Because you can't help yourself. And, you know, uh, you'd be surprised he's there. To help you out. Because you open yourself up to it.
1: Adam, I'm curious, having been as, as close a friend to Scott as you are, what are some things about Scott that are so extraordinary that it's probably easier for a friend to describe than for him to say himself, because he's probably too humble?
0: <laughs> about how he's how he's dealing with the situation? Or? About
1: who he is as a man, about his core beliefs, about... Who he's become in the process, just a real acknowledgement of how extraordinary he is.
0: Yeah, he. I mean, he really is, a, and I think um, he described he described some of it in the film that he he had gone through his sort of mid midlife crisis issues, um, you know, prior to prior to getting this diagnosis, and when he did get it. You know, he was in a very sort of um, zen, zen-like zen state in his life as it is. And I just think his, you know, his intelligence, his humor, his... Um
2: you can take good looks. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> his total and complete absence of, of bitterness or, or, or sort of self-pity uh, as far as, as what was happening to him has just been so... Incredible and inspiring. I mean, he really is um, an amazing human being, um, and uh, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a, a I think a profound uh, experience for for me and for many of his friends, just being around him and and um, sharing this experience with him because he's just such an incredible example of, you know, an evolved. Person and an evolved human being and an incredible, you know, just example to us all.
2: Which is funny because I'm actually devolving.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: it's a paradox.
2: So. Well, that I know it's very nice you. Think?
0: Thank you.
1: The, the documentary that I saw certainly shows an incredible amount of humor coming through you. Now, how do you find the strength to laugh at everything when so many of us are taking our lives just so seriously?
2: Oh, yeah, you got to laugh. Point your various weapon. freeze your attitude.
1: Do you... Scott, do you laugh every day? Is there always something that you kind of find I humor try.
2: in? I probably do. I, mean, I don't wear a laughing mirror. I don't have a, a, a lap-monitor on me or anything. So I have no way to measure the amount of laughs per day. But I bet it would be somewhere between five and fifty, somewhere in there. Um, but I mean, that's what I do, like, for example, as a writer, I write, you know, comedies or dramatic comedies. But it's really fun because I only know it's really working you when know, I'm kind of cracking myself up as I'm writing. And I'm kinda of like that in every day too. Just trying, you know, be funny, think of funny things. I'm very blessed to have a uh, a wife with a good sense of humor and friends with a good sense of humor. Um, I, I was raised in a family where you know bad puns were looked done very favorably. <laughs> um, so I'm just lucky you know about that, but I I am even though I do have uh, you know good sense of humor I've been can, can get pretty dark with that sense of humor. And mm. I think that helps too. You know there's really nothing that can't be laughed
1: at. There's nothing there's nothing that cannot be laughed at. Another beautiful thing I picked up in the film is your wife says that you developed a very different set of eyes of just enjoying every moment you have and how has being grateful and noticing things really sort of become one of your most important skills? And Show us what what do you see that we don't see? what are what are your set of eyes looking at that someone else might not be looking at yet?
2: Well, first of all, I would say that everybody has the potential to look like that. You just have to keep kind of an open heart and open mind when you're looking at things and just from a perspective. We are appreciating things now because you do know, not be able to appreciate them later on. And I would say the biggest thing is, uh, it's you know with family or friends or, you know, when you're out someplace just driving around, it's like you realize you're in the middle of a little a mental picture, a little mental home movie. Everything just seems a little bit uh, more exaggerated because you're appreciating the details of where you're at. Um, You know, I've always been a big people watcher. I've always kind of enjoyed trying to figure out what's going on behind what was obvious in front of you. Yeah, well, things like that just, you know, it's kind of like um, this is an illness which really traps you in your body. So to enjoy things, you have to be more aware of what you can just observe. As soon as you're able to find pleasure in observation, Is your ability to interact physically, it's very diminished. But as it turns out, just by observing, you actually interact in a very deep level. You know, it wasn't a part of anything. Um, You just have to learn how to work with those muscles. Put you the same thing you did more. Um, I'd say put the same thing as like going to a museum and looking at a painting, putting all those things you turn on inside your brain to appreciate the art. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, same thing you do to appreciate life.
1: Adam qu- question for you do you feel you're a changed man do you feel you're a changed inside em- emotionally spiritually how you view life being more present observing more from from this incredible journey you've been on together
0: uh, absolutely I mean there's no no question about it I think you know trying to strive and and succeed in the film business has has a tendency to make you more selfish and more self-absorbed and sort of less aware of the bigger picture. And I think that this, this experience of of witnessing Scott deal with this situation and, and having been, you know, a part of it in the sense of making a film about his situation, it's, it's changed me. It just makes, makes me um, just far more sort of, Aware of, of making the most of every day, and that my sort of problems are completely insignificant compared to what he's going through. And I think it just um, it refocuses one to to sort of appreciating the, the bigger picture of life. And, and as Scott was just saying, just um, appreciating your friends, your family, and just t- being living in the moment and, and taking the time to tell people that you love them, and and just appreciating the now. And um, you know this gift that we have of being able to breathe and being able to walk and being able to live and spend time with our friends and, and all of that stuff—it's um, um, just a, just an incredible gift. And I think, we get caught up in our daily lives and struggles and problems and kind of lose lose sight of of what's really important and what's really of of value. And I think spending time with Scott has put it very much front and center in my life as far as how I want to live my life and and how I want to remind myself to, to think the way that he thinks and to see things the way that he thinks. He sees, sees them if I can. Um, but, yeah. Sam also,
2: by the way, is an incredible sense of humor.
0: I do. I sound very serious at the moment, but yeah, we we, <laughs> we definitely... Uh, we definitely enjoy each other's sense of humor and have the same sense of humor. And I think that's another thing, is just seeing seeing the humor in things and, and trying not to take yourself too seriously. Um, I think that's, that's a big lesson as well, you know.
2: For it is like, frail us save both of us from becoming assholes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Our system. laughs> Very true.
2: We could have followed Hollywood Hollywood self absorption, but we do. We a little reality check.
0: Yeah, it's a reality check for sure.
1: You're both in movies and the craziness of Hollywood and celebrity life and. You see all of that all around you. What do you want to say? What's your message? What's the main sort of core wisdom that you truly hope and invite people to to listen to?
2: For me, my message is be aware and enjoy and alert and appreciate. That's really the things that I... I do is not like by the way. It's not like I never get depressed. But when I do get depressed, if I try and still be aware and appreciate that problem. So I try not if something's bothering me. So I try to not let it be unsaid. If you don't really for myself. So I try to identify what it is that's bugging me. You know, it might be my breathing getting worse, or my speech is getting worse, or I lost something in my, you know, some ability I could use it for. before, because I'm just ignoring it. I'm trying to find the smiley face all the time. I let myself appreciate, you know, the, the pain I'm feeling, but then Not wallowing, it. Just appreciate it. And then when I'm done with that, it's over. And then move on to better thoughts. And that way you don't get, uh, you know, overwhelmed with denial. Which is something that can definitely happen to someone with a terminal illness. You want to not think about it. Well, by thinking about it, you can actually move beyond it. And um, you won't get it all done in one day. You won't think about it, be over, which kind of, like, comes in waves. And we've got to ride the wave out. But there's always something positive at the end.
1: Scott, I'm curious. I'm curious what your spiritual belief is. Do you do you believe in some a higher power? Do you believe in a religious figure? Do you have conversations with God that are direct, or what do you believe?
2: Um, I believe in Sheba the Destroyer. <laughs> no, I'm a joke. Sorry, <laughs> it's a joke for injured people. They look bad. <laughs> Well, I actually am Jewish, and I'm kind of lucky in that I um, I went through a period when I was a teenager, into my, say, early 20s, where I kind of went on a quest to find a religion that I wanted to believe in. I read a lot and studied a lot you different kind of philosophy. And what I found was, when I, you know, actually thought about it, was a kind of esoteric quality to Judaism, which works pretty well for me. So I kind of got lucky. When I went on a quest and found something that brought up with was comforting for me. Um, in Judaism, God is not always, you know, nice the protagonist. In the Bible, there's a uh, show, obviously. There's, um, you know, people who suffer trials. Abraham and everybody. And I've always kind of felt like that work—that um—to see the beauty of, you know, God's work, you also have to see to be a part of the the, the more uncomfortable parts—they're mm-hmm. all part of the same life. It's hard to appreciate the bad. You start to preach that also to the bad.
1: So, I guess you don't ask yourself or ask God the question, why did this happen to me?
2: No, I don't. Well, I've pretty lucky, to be honest. Um, there's a lot of illnesses that affect your mind body. That to me would be a hundred times worse. And I really, admire work with such people, who get through with like Alzheimer's, or suffer mental illness, because I really didn't know how I would deal with that. I feel very blessed through it all. feel you know, my my mind is Clear, I don't be able to appreciate things. I'm really not angry, although I enjoy not too bad. I'm not for me. So, if you want to be already on my path, that'd be
1: cool. So, here's the way that we end all of our interviews on the show. We ask the same three signature questions to all of our guests, so I'm going to ask them to both of you. Um, So, Scott, first, what is the belief that you go to during these times of change? What is the one belief that sort of keeps you grounded and whole?
2: I'd say it wouldn't be a belief; it would be a feeling. The kind of feeling is just feeling present. i kind of feeling like you're a part of what's going on around you. At least for me, that's very calming. Beautiful. Before I try and go to that center place, before I know I'm okay, even the worst case, what's going on around me.
0: Adam? I think just that Tomorrow is another day, you know, and that whatever we are going through today can be <clears throat> can be overcome. I think um, Scott is a, an incredible example of that. You know, just every day his his humor is unfailing, his his sunny sort of bright outlook on life is, is there all the time. It's just um, well, you
2: actually fails a lot,
0: <laughs> but
2: he's somebody who jokes. I'm gonna make up for it by volume.
1: Here's the second question, guys. Fill in the sentence. The best thing about change is
2: um. okay, go
0: The opportunity to be a better person. We
2: are actually enjoying what comes next.
1: Here's the last one. What is the best change that you have ever made?
2: Oh, I got married.
1: God God bless your beautiful wife.
2: Exactly. Yes, it is. for always the best we ever did. No doubt about it. When, but I think that <laughs> falls into you. What you were saying before about opening yourself up to you know, trusting people and sharing with people. Um, That really is the same thing with marriage. And um, I think a lot of people either still get married or end up getting divorced because they're apart themselves they don't want to share. But I recommend for them to Get over
1: themselves and do it. they won't be surprised
0: for
1: what they find. Adam, what about you? What is the best change that you have ever made?
0: I think for me, it was a little more uh, ephemeral. I think it's just for me. It was learning to trust myself and learning to trust my instincts and and, and listen to my myself as far as my direction in life. Because I think we always have a lot of pressure and opinions from parents and career and significant others, and I think um, just learning to believe in my inner guidance system was was probably the biggest change that I've ever made.
2: Beautiful. So you're in a roster.
1: (laughs) In a roster. I'm in Alaska.
0: I know. I'm lost.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to say a huge thank you to, to both of you. Thank you, Scott, for just being who you are and being so present and... And your wisdom and your ability to communicate it with us, and and Adam for sharing this part of the journey with him, I really I commend and acknowledge you both. Well, so, for more information on Scott and Adam, and to buy the movie Living with Lou, please visit the website Living with Lou, and that's spelled L-E-W dot com. For more other incredibly inspiring interviews and informative experts, please visit us on the web at first30days.com. Thanks for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Change Nation from first30days.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes in the Society and Culture section under Philosophy. Remember to take time to leave us feedback about the show. We'd love to know what you think. Change Nation is a production of The First 30 Days, Incorporated. Copyright 2008. All rights reserved.